From Washington, this is Talking Tax. I'm David Schultz. So the Inflation Reduction Act contains $374 billion in tax incentives for renewable energy projects. But for renewable energy companies, qualifying for that money can feel like jumping through 374 billion hoops. For example, a project can qualify for a 10% tax credit if all of the iron and steel used in the project is produced here in the U.S. But getting that much U.S.-sourced iron and steel is far from easy. Today we're going to be talking about what energy companies must do and what they actually will do to qualify for these tax breaks. We'll be hearing from Amish Shah, a partner at the firm Holland & Knight who focuses on tax incentives for the clean energy sector. Shaw spoke with Bloomberg tax reporter Aaron Slowey about how these new tax breaks will work and about what his life has been like since the day Congress announced it reached a deal on the IRA. I've said to people that I, I measure my life uh, pre-July 27th and, and post-July 27th. Um, and uh, it's, it's been um, uh, incredibly busy since July 27th, but, but a very exciting time for people who do what I do and, and so many of my colleagues in the clean energy sector. Yeah. And can you talk a little bit about like the value of the credits that are in the Inflation Reduction Act? Like, are people changing their operations to make sure that they get some of these credits or get that that bonus credit that is now an option for some of them? And the short answer is absolutely they are. Um, You know, this is uh, I mean, this really is a game changer bill. Uh, You know, when you when you look back at what we've seen over the years and, you know, I've been doing this in the tax credit world and clean energy for 20 years. Um, You know, when you look back at you know, 04 and 05, that's when we saw a lot of tax credits come in. And that was, to me, the first game changer bill. And there have been, you know, significant bills since then, including after the 2008 downturn, when you had the 2009 Treasury grant that became available where you can get a cash payment. But but since then, this is really the biggest game changing bill. In terms of the amount of the credit, you know, what's, what's interesting is over time, um, you know, one of the things that we were we were seeing is is the bills that were coming out were including provisions to phase down these tax credits. And so, so wind was being phased down, solar was being phased down. Uh, we had short-term extensions of, of all of the other tax credits. And, and now with the IRA, you know, we, we've ramped those credits back up to what we consider kind of the, the, the traditional value of 30% ITC, for example. Uh, but now we can actually get 40% and 50%, and so and, and even more in some some instances. And so, yeah, there is a lot of talk about um, trying to to meet the domestic content, the 10% adder, and try and meet the energy community 10% adder. And so, you know, part of it is people are trying to understand those rules and and spending a lot of time trying to understand those rules and comment on those rules. But there's a lot of interest in in trying to get those those uh, those adders. You mentioned the domestic content requirement. Can you talk a little bit about like what is that requirement in this law and like is the supply even out there for companies that are interested in trying to meet the domestic content requirement? Yeah, so, so um, the requirement for domestic content, which would provide a 10% bonus credit, it requires that all of your steel and iron be produced in the United States and that 40% of the, the value, the fair market value of all of your other components, what they call your manufacturing components, are manufactured in the U.S., and, and so, you know, there are questions around what does it mean to be manufactured in the U.S. And, and we can look to uh, analogies like, you know, various Buy America sort of policies, but there isn't a cross-reference to those other policies. And so what we really need to see are particular rules. Is there enough uh, manufacturing capability in the U.S.? We are actually seeing some projects uh, that they've obtained the supply of U.S. manufactured equipment already, uh, or at least in line to get the, the equipment. Um, 
and so we are seeing some projects that are that are looking for the domestic content um, bonus already. But of course, it's it's more limited because of the limited uh, uh, manufacturing capability in the U.S. And so there's, you know, when you look at this bill and what it what it did here in terms of U.S. manufacturing, there is a tax credit for. Um, building uh, manufacturing facilities, the advanced manufacturing tax credit. And so there's incentivizing people to invest in building U.S. manufacturing capabilities around renewables. And then on the on the other side, you're, you're incentivizing people to, to use Amer- U.S. content uh, in, in developing these projects. And so the hope is over time, we'll, we'll have the manufacturing capabilities with those two incentives working together uh, to, to be able to utilize the, the domestic content adder um, as we go forward. And the domestic content adder, that requirement, the interest that you're seeing is like, what industry are you like seeing the most interest from um, in terms of wanting to meet that domestic content requirement? Yeah, so, so we, we see it across industries. I mean, you know, our, you know, my practice involves um, everything from, from uh, uh, clean fuels and always has, I've done a lot of work in clean fuels. They do a lot in carbon capture. I do a lot on the, the clean power sector. Um, and so we're seeing it across sectors. And so when you're talking about some of these projects that are utility scale projects or just massive projects, an additional 10% ITC is, is a lot of value. And so right now what we're seeing is um, a lot of talk about trying to meet it, to see if there are ways to meet it, to understand what the rules are going to be. Um, and, and a lot of these are, are long-term planning projects. And so, so they're thinking about it and, and they're going to continue to think about it depending on um, how the rules play out and, and what our manufacturing capabilities are. We've seen in the news different companies talk about opening facilities in the U.S. to manufacture these components. And so a lot of us talk, but we are seeing, for example, in the solar sector, that there is some U.S. manufacturing of, of solar components already. And so we've seen some, you know, some out in the market and some clients looking to pick up uh, U.S. manufactured panels uh, to be able to meet the domestic content. Matter. But but uh, you know, obviously, a lot of it is is just people looking ahead uh, more than um, uh, thinking that on projects that will be completed within the next couple of years, they'll be able to meet that requirement. But again, uh, we'll have to see how quickly the manufacturing capabilities pick up in the U.S. given the the provisions of the IRA. Mm-hmm. And I know these are some of these are new credits. At what point in the conversations typically do you have with your clients about like wanting? to utilize the credits in a bill or in a law like the Inflation Reduction Act? And like how it, how easy or difficult is it to be doing it kind of on the fly when projects are already started? Well, you know, some of this, you know, we, we have a lot of history in this. And so um, the legislation around clean energy has has ebbed and flowed over time. And so, you know, we've, we've been, you know, I've been doing this for, like I said, about 20 years now. And so we've seen a lot in the fuel sector and the carbon capture and, and clean power. And so some of this is just judgment. Um, you know, we have a bill that has, you know, a lot of new things in it. Um, but, you know, new credits for hydrogen, new credits for qualified biogas property. But a lot of the concepts in those credits are, are similar to concepts that we've seen in, for example, the ITC and PTC for clean power. and. The clean fuels provisions that we've been dealing with, you know, around biodiesel, for example, and so the concepts are there. You know, there are obviously a lot of questions that remain open, uh, and so part of it is to think about, you know, to strategize about how do we deal with that. And so, we're in the process of, um, you know, requesting guidance from the Treasury for for a number of clients. We've got a number of clients in in just about every sector who are looking for for clarity on on in, on issues. And so we're in the process. We've already drafted some comments. Submit a sub comments. We're continuing to do that, and I think we'll be doing that for some time still. But there's a lot we can talk about, 
and and there's a lot you know with, with all of these projects is given the the value of the tax credits in the in the capital stack i mean again we're talking about tax credits that may be 50 percent of the capital cost of the project you know they need to be thinking about this developers need to be thinking about the tax credits on day one and we might not have all the answers right now um but we can at least figure out what answers we know and what questions we have uh, as we continue to help them develop projects or invest in projects and for you and your clients like what are some of those like must have or would like to have answers to hopefully be answered in guidance it, it is a list that's growing by the day um you know the the more we we look at uh different facts patterns different uh potential investments the longer the list is getting and, and so it's quite a list uh at this point so you know there, there are a few things right well for, for the first is is you know we talked about domestic content energy community and those are when we think about what do we think that treasury is going to come out with first i think it's probably the broader guidance that relates to a number of these credits and so there's a lot around just trying to understand what those provisions are and getting guidance and, and questions around that. Um, there's a lot around transferability. Um, you know, we, you know, the, the transferability provisions are new. You know, we haven't had a lot of large scale transferability provisions in, in the tax code so far. Um, you know, back in 2018, they, Congress put in a transferability provision for the nuclear PTC, um, but we're still awaiting guidance on that. So we don't have guidance on that yet. Um, and so there's a lot of question about how um, how impactful will the transferability rules be, depending on how that guidance comes out. We will continue to use tax equity. I, I, I'm sure of that for a number of projects. But but how much will transferability take over the market and take away from tax equity over time? And, and that'll depend on the rules. And so a lot of folks are worried about, or at least uh, thinking about how those rules might come out. Um, and a lot of these provisions, including kind of the tech neutral provisions that come in. In 2025, there are references to um, uh, determining how clean a fuel is or, or, or um, a technology is. And so there are calculations that, that look to Greek models, for example, um, to figure out your CI score. And so there are a lot of questions around ensuring, um, you know, on a life cycle analysis using these different methodologies, that there's clarity on, on how much of a credit companies will get. And, and so, again, it can vary significantly depending on, on how you're looking at these models. And so as we're making investment decisions, I think it's important and, and, and a lot of our clients obviously think it's, it's important here to, under, to get a better understanding about how the CI score or whatever version of that is in the particular provision is being calculated to determine how much of a tax credit is available or whether a tax credit is, is available at all. And then, and then there are, are smaller things. A lot of them are definitional. Um, and so when we look at, you know, just terms in the code, you know, gross receipts for purposes of the nuclear, uh, the credit for existing nuclear facilities, um, you know, we talk about fuel mixture for um, uh, clean fuels credits, uh, you know, what is a qualified facility in, in various provisions. We can try and make an educated guess. Um, but again, when we're talking about developers that are looking at, you know, tax credits that, you know, may, may pick up 40 or 50 percent of the capital costs, or we're talking about developers that are looking to monetize tax credits and, and tax equity investors and transferees, you know, they, they need a, a certain amount of, of certainty around all of this. And so um, there are just a lot of questions in making sure that we, we have enough certainty here that, um, you know, developers are comfortable developing a project, you know, in, in ensuring they'll be able to get the tax credit and, and that they're able to get comfortable that, um, you know, transferees and tax equity investors will be comfortable enough to invest in these projects. Uh, so that we can get the, the projects built as Congress had, had hoped and intended in the IRA. 
That was Holland and Knight's Amisha speaking with Bloomberg Tax reporter Aaron Slowey. And that's it for today's podcast. You can find up-to-the-minute news on the latest tax and accounting developments at our website, news.bloombergtax.com. That website, once again, is news.bloombergtax.com. Today's Talking Tax was produced by myself, David Schultz. Rachel Daigle is our editor, and our executive producer is Josh Block. From Washington, I'm David Schultz. Thanks for listening. An individual's race should not be used to help him or harm him in his life's endeavors. A pair of lawsuits has made its way to the Supreme Court, and the decision could dramatically change just who gets into which college. Bloom is effectively using the Asian community as pawns. Every lawsuit needs a villain. To mask an anti-Black and anti-Latino agenda. Does this demoralize me? No, it doesn't demoralize me. This season on Uncommon Law, we'll explore the arguments and the people driving this latest battle over affirmative action. Can the Constitution be used to remedy society's ills? I'm the only person in class who has to raise my hand and say, okay, well, actually, here's how this affects people that look like me. Does the 14th Amendment's Equal Protection Clause prohibit all discrimination based on race? You let somebody in because of their race, you're keeping somebody else out because of their race. There might have been two or three Latinos, including me. And so somehow that's too much. Somehow that goes too far. It's hard not to take that very personally. Coming October 25th, part one of a three-part series on affirmative action. What's being decided is whether black and brown people are going to be excluded in significant numbers. Only on Uncommon Law from Bloomberg Industry Group.